guess who's back? Back again. <laughs> Jackson's back. Jackson Floyd is back oh, on the Big man. Fun Pod, and we have a special intro for him. Welcome back, Jackson. Hey, thank you so much, and welcome to everyone here tuning into the Big Fundamental Podcast, a Kins 5 podcast on your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball. Uh, Cameron, I don't think I missed much. It's been uh, pretty much par for the course season so far, right? Yeah, no, you uh, you know you, you went you went away for a little while. Congratulations on, on your son and everything. Uh, thank you. I was a little worried because for a while there uh, <laughs> we had a losing streak going on with the son uh, being born. And, uh, I sent out a tweet asking for any sort of uh, voodoo or black magic ritual I could perform to kind of turn the tide. But we don't need it because guess who's here? Lonnie Walker. It's the rise of Lonnie Walker. He's here. Spurs fans have been asking for this for Lonnie Walker to start playing more minutes. For him to kind of step up, now it's the rise of Lonnie Walker. Uh, man, we got to say, last night's game against the Houston Rockets, we're recording this on Wednesday, um, Tuesday night's game against the Houston Rockets, that's one for the ages. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's It was one of those kind of give the people what they want kind of things where the Spurs have kind of kept Lonnie Walker you know, under wraps. He obviously had the potential coming out, was dealing with some injuries. The Spurs played him in the G League pretty much all of last year. He didn't really even debut until January. Uh, had his second highest career scoring night uh, earlier this week, and we'll talk about that disaster of a game uh, a little bit later on. But uh, even in the first half, he was getting first quarter minutes, which hasn't been a, a sure thing this season. Looked good, played some good defense. I was saying, you know, even if he's missing his shots, he's, he's a valuable defender. Really did a nice job against Harden and Westbrook. Took turns kind of guarding both of them. And then the scoring kind of kicked in in the, in the late third quarter and especially in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, last night the Spurs win over the Rockets, 135-133 to 133 in a double overtime game. And it was Walker who swung the tide there in the uh, fourth quarter and overtime. We're talking about Lonnie Walker the fourth. Maybe we need to start calling him Lonnie Walker the fourth quarter. Because uh, <laughs> uh, that was it. where he shined. Uh, like you said, career high at 28 points. Um, that three-pointer. Uh, to force to yeah, force to overtime, force yeah, at the end of regulation. So, first of all, I think he outscored the Rockets by himself in the fourth quarter. The, the Spurs did a great job as team defensively in the fourth quarter, holding Houston to just 18 points in the fourth quarter. And uh, Harden versus Walker sort of turned into a, an isolation matchup. In the third and fourth quarter, Lonnie Walker had more points than James Harden. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, uh, it was just a, an amazing game, uh, one that – we can't go on without talking about the officiating in the game. I think that was kind of an issue uh, throughout, and just just in terms of the reviews, what is reviewable, what isn't reviewable. The the headline making uh, the the play making headlines is the the dunk that was called a missed dunk by James Harden in that fourth quarter, um, with I guess about seven minutes left in the game. Um, after the game, the Rockets kind of said, "Hey, we're optimistic that that missed dunk." would have swung the game in our favor. Of course, it was a tie game at regulation. If that dunk did count, that's two points towards us. Um, we're, we're, we're pretty optimistic the league's going to change the results or at least let us replay the last seven minutes, 51 seconds of the game. Um, league came out today, and uh, I'm quoting ESPN here, scoffed at the idea uh, that the result would change. Um, but, yeah, that's the headline coming out of the game right now. Yeah, that was a weird play. Uh Basically, so from what I understand, the Rockets could have challenged that, but because I guess they were so stunned by the fact that it wasn't uh, scored as a basket, there's a you get a 30-second window, I guess, to, to challenge a, uh, a play. And, and this is this is a new rule this year that, that coaches challenge in the NBA, and uh, they missed their window. So they, they basically just, I mean, it was, a, it was a breakaway dunk. There was no one near him. Though, you know, you, you could see him throwing the ball down, the net, curled so clearly the ball had some sort of interaction with the net and then it just wasn't two points and uh yeah like you said there, there were some real officiating 
questions throughout the game. The uh, the the argument for Spurs fans that the other way against you know there's no first of all it would be unprecedented for the league to say yeah let's just replay the last eight minutes or let's award Houston the win because we missed a call midway through the fourth quarter like it would be different if it was a you know a game winning shot in a tie game or you know it was a one point game and someone made a two that they said he released it too late but really he released something like that'd be different it's it's a clear thing but this there's so many other factors that could go into what's going on in the last you know two minutes, 30 seconds, whatever. Uh, the the argument that Spurs fans have is saying, well, the, the refs missed a pretty obvious backcourt violation at the end of the third quarter. And it, that was a great play. I, I really enjoyed the way Houston drew that up. Uh, they, they inbounded it. They uh, passed, they inbounded it to midcourt. Uh, Westbrook was coming back from the backcourt. They handed it to him. He took two dribbles and then hit Tyson Chandler on an alley-oop. But uh, Westbrook hadn't established himself in the front court yet, so by rule that would be backcourt vi- uh, back violation, and that basket shouldn't have counted. So two plus, two minus, it all comes out, and uh, I-, I think the Rockets are just going to have to live with this one. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a pretty persuasive argument to convince the league to replay or redo any sort of basketball uh, time. First of all, um, I mean, do the players really want to play another 7 minutes and 51 seconds in the era of load management uh, when the regular season games matter less um, I don't know, but um, I mean, in 2008, the league allowed a replay in a game against the Miami uh, between the Miami Heat and I am blanking on whom they were playing, um, but uh, they erroneously uh, ruled that Shaq had fouled out. Turns out he only had four fouls. That was 51 seconds that they played at the beginning of the next time those two teams matched up. I don't see it happening here because so many other things. It's a butterfly effect. What happens uh, in that game? Um, what what else could have happened? Uh, what other calls they missed? And there were a lot of calls they missed. There were a lot of reviews, especially coming down in crunch time. The game ending on that uh, painstaking review of the charge foul. Turns out there's another foul. Um, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. Just it really dragged. You know, you got the sense that okay, once the Spurs got it to overtime, I think there was you know this idea that. The, the place was rocking, the fans who stuck around, because a lot of fans had left uh, when, when things were looking really dire for San Antonio. I mean, it was a 20-point deficit in the third quarter. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was blogging about it here for Ken's Five, and I was looking at it and saying, okay, it was a 12-point game with like five or six minutes left. I was like, yeah, you know, chances aren't great that they come back. They did a nice job to at least not get blown out, but, you know, there are some positive things to look to, blah, blah, blah. You know, I was, I was ready to sort of, you know, wrap that up and say, okay, move on to the next thing. And then, you know, you blink your eyes, and suddenly Lonnie Walker is hitting the uh, – the biggest shot of his career so far, right in P.J. Tucker's eyes, you know, about a about two grown steps behind the three-point line. Uh, in trans- just a great, just a great shot. You feel so good for for Lonnie and for what uh, what it means for the team. And Coach Pop was so complimentary of him after the game, talking about the, the sort of spark he brought to the club. And, uh, y- you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, I think, is sort of the expectation here for Lonnie. He's one of their higher draft picks in a long time. Uh, they really have been... You know, sort of took it easy on him for a little while, really eased him into it. But now the expectation is clearly there for him to be a contributor. And right now it's off the bench. I'd love to see if maybe he gets a bigger role as the season goes on. Yeah, from this point on, I feel like we have to see more of Walker. It's not just this game. He's earned that over kind of the last four-game stretch we've seen. Uh, we'll get more into those games later on. But uh, he had a great night against the Pistons in which uh, not a lot of other people had great nights. Uh, he had shown in limited minutes against the Timberwolves earlier this uh, past week. He started to come along there. Uh, I want to move along from uh, 
the the kind of chaos that's still kind of unfolding after this game. I just want to say, in this, just kind of like the Rockets, though, to, yeah. to, to balk at a league ruling here, to think something's like that. In 2017, they audited a Western Conference final game, uh, calling out all the missed calls and saying, here's how why we should have won. And then last year, after Giannis was named the MVP and Harden the runner-up, they fired off a tweet storm, uh, just kind of explaining why they thought Harden was the MVP. Um, yeah, this kind of falls into line with what they do. Um, now, before we move on from this game, was there anything surprising that stood out to you uh, in, in kind of the, the way everything unfolded, other than kind of the, the comeback, Lonnie Walker's resurgence? I, I think we definitely have to mention the fact that James Harden scored a 50-burger against against the uh, against the Spurs and, and did it without shooting particularly well. It was kind of one of those games that was just kind of classic Harden. He wasn't really feeling it from long range, but he made 24 of 24 free throws, which is exceptional in a lot of ways. First of all, it's it's really efficient. It's really nice to see a guy, uh, you know, shoot that well from the free throw line. These are professionals. You hope to see them make free throws. They're supposed to be free. But on the other side, the fact that he got to the line so much was uh, something that maybe the fans weren't super pleased about. Yes, I mean, as one fan actually called him out on it, uh, and this is a video going viral around the internet, uh, a fan yelled uh, as he was taking his sixth and seventh free throws that nobody wants to see a free throw shooting contest. And uh, Harden uh, responded by yelling back, no one wants to see fouls either. Had a few other uh, expletive words I'm not going to repeat on the podcast. Sure, that fan. this is a family-friendly pod. Yeah, but that 24 for 24, that ties a record for most free throws in a game without a miss. Uh, pretty wild. On a night when, yeah, you mentioned Harden had some shooting woes. Harden and Westbrook shot 18 for 60 in that game. How would you feel being one of the other guys? I mean, I think uh, Ben McLemore had a, had a stretch where he was shooting pretty well. P.J. Tucker's a very capable corner three-point shooter. And you're looking at those numbers and you're saying, yes, I understand those guys are superstars, but it would be nice to get a couple extra shots here or there, especially if those are the numbers. Uh, and, and speaking of that, that defensive side of the ball, I want to point out one other thing that surprised me. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, I think, really stepped up. He obviously had the, the sort of game-clinching uh, defensive play where he took a charge, but uh, he hasn't really been good, and the Spurs haven't been good on the defensive side of the floor coming into this game when he had the ball. And I haven't looked at how the, uh, how, uh, the game against the Rockets has sort of affected these, uh, this uh, advanced stat, but the coming into the game, the Spurs were allowing 115 points per 100 possessions when DeMar was on the floor, which would be worst in the NBA. Uh, he, he's been having a good season, you know, getting about 21, 22 points a game pretty consistently, but the, the effort on the defensive end hasn't been there on a night-in, night-out basis. It was there when the Spurs needed it on Tuesday night. Yes, I mean, uh, you mentioned that clutch play there, uh, that drawing the charge there. He seemed fired up in that overtime. Uh, you see, you saw the defense kind of step in the second half. There are a couple of plays in that first half where he, he just got blown by uh, uh, with Harden there. And I mean, Harden's kind of unguardable. The guy who did best on Harden last night was probably Lonnie Walker. Uh, he still, you know, jumped on a few threes, as you do on Harden, and uh, fouled Harden a few three-point shots there. Um, mentioning uh, DeRozan's efficiency shooting, did you know he, going into last night's game, is the most efficient post-up shooter in the NBA? He and Aldridge are in the top ten. He's the only non-Ford in that top ten. Leads efficiency in post-up shooting, which is wild. Not the way the NBA is trending, but he's having an efficient shooting season, to say the, le- to say the least. I'll tell you what, if the Spurs were in a different situation... I- I think you could absolutely build a team around DeMar DeRozan. I know that's, you know, we'll get talk about this a little bit where there's been a part of the Spurs fan base that's been calling for the Spurs to trade him. There's still an absolutely a way where you could build a successful NBA offense and, and a decent enough defense around DeMar DeRozan and be a, a playoff team. The problem is the Spurs already sort of had their identity 
when they traded for DeRozan, and that was, you know, with Aldridge, and they had just done, gone through that whole season with only playing Kawhi Leonard nine games. They basically had their identity, and then DeRozan really kind of, you know, for, for lack of a better term, kind of cramps that style a little bit. So I think, again, the Spurs are making the best out of the situation they have, the roster they have. This wasn't like this grand master plan to, to build this roster. It sort of just happened that way, and that's, it. you know, when you're talking about really greatly run NBA franchise. That's not usually what you're talking about, but that's the situation the Spurs found themselves in with a disgruntled Kawhi Leonard. I think, yeah, either of those guys could be the focal point or at least a key part of a very good offense. The problem is, they're, like you said, they're both efficient. They're both uh, at their best in the same kind of area. Yeah, now before we move on from this game, uh, we have to address uh, Jakob Pertl's performance last night. Uh, Lonnie Walker is getting all the headlines, and he was the, the first name out of Pop's uh, mouth when talking about what stood out. Jakob Pertl followed right behind. Yeah, same uh, sentence. There, same sentence. With no Aldridge, this is the second game in a row Aldridge has missed, Pertl set a career high on blocks with five. He added 15 rebounds and was the Spurs' assist leader at halftime with five assists. Really rose to the occasion, uh, was the Spurs' minutes leader throughout the game, and I think he's still playing through Harden's dreams, nightmares right now, uh, <laughs> as he replays that game, was hounding the paint, um, was just the standout stalwart guy on the defensive side for the Spurs last night. Yeah, I, there be there will be games where Pirtle, it'll be hard for him to find minutes, uh, just matchup-wise, depending on what the other teams like to do at, at that five spot and what kind of, you know, what kind of fives he has to face. Clint Capella, I think, is a really good matchup for him because it's a guy who doesn't really have the ability to stretch the floor, so Pirtle doesn't have to try to defend too much on the perimeter unless it's a switch situation. Uh, and he really... When there's that predictability for what the Rockets are going to try to do, they're going to try to drive the lane, and it's either going to be a Westbrook or Harden layup or a draw foul attempt, or they're going to kick it out. Uh, Pirtle was really at his best as a rim protector in Tuesday night's win against the Rockets. And I think having being able to, I think him being the focus point of that defensive anchor, being able to stay in the in the. the being able to stay in the front court without Aldridge being there really played to his advantage. We'll see if that continues when Aldridge comes back. And we'll continue to see what kind of tinkering they do with the starting lineups. Cameron, before I left, the Spurs were still starting DeJounte Murray and Trey Lyles. I just want to know your opinions on the the, the, the changes they've made, bringing Rudy Gay into the lineup at times, bringing Derek White in as the starting point guard, and then, of course, Jakob Pertl. Well, how about the lineup they finished with last night with Pertl at the five and basically DeMar DeRozan at the four? They had Patty Mills out there uh, as well as, obviously, Lonnie Walker who was feeling it and that you know I don't expect the Spurs to finish a lot of games that way they, they've rotated into Jante Murray a little bit but I know he's still in a minutes restriction which is hard in a double overtime game because yeah. he is still a key rotation guy yeah I I think Trey Lyles I liked him a little bit as a uh, as a starter but I think in order for him to have stayed in that starting lineup he would have needed to be a little bit more efficient as a shooter that was kind of his biggest value next to Aldridge was being able to space the floor a little bit. Uh, obviously, he's a big uh, energy guy, so I think you think of energy guys usually being a guy off the bench. And uh, as much as good as DeJounte Murray is, I think he's still the best point guard on this team. He has been sort of up and down after that blazing start the first, you know, two or three weeks of the season. He's cooled off a little bit. I think just in terms of what you're going to put around DeRozan and Aldridge, because those are your superstar guys. That's who you need to build around. Those are the guys who are going to be playing 30 minutes plus a night. When you're talking about lineups that are going to play the most minutes with those guys, you need a point guard who's going to play best with those two. And right now, it just doesn't look like DeJounte Murray is that guy. Yeah, Murray is a guy who thrives with the ball in his hands. He's, he's still working on that off-ball presence. Derek White is a guy who does that well. Mills is probably the best off-ball point guard on this team, um, but he's a great guy to lead that second unit. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I think Pirtle has kind of become the uh, keystone in the starting lineup. If, if you're moving on from Trey Lyles in the starting lineup, and I think he fits well in that second unit, uh, then yeah, Pirtle is going to be a guy that your defensive presence, your defensive performance kind of hinges on. Um, interested to see where they go from here, but before we move on to the future, let's take a look at the last three games in which the Spurs are 2-1. and one. Feels like a different Spurs team, some, some kind of changes there. Uh, let's start off by talking about that win on November 29th versus the Clippers, 107-97 to on uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard's return to the AT&T Center. Yeah, that was a big win for the Spurs. Uh, they, the Spurs and their home court advantage, I think, was the key in that game against Kawhi Leonard. He was only 8 of 23 shooting the ball uh, in his former home in San Antonio. Obviously, uh, the fans will always, I think, have a certain uh, welcome for the claw. Uh, well, if you ask Kawhi his opinion, it just felt like any other away game. So. <laughs> sure, sure. He, he can say that, but it's, it's not true. It, it, that was not the case. Uh, another good team win. The Spurs shot the ball pretty well, taking and making three-pointers, and, and DeMar DeRozan even got in on the party, which is nice. Yeah, his first three-point make of the calendar year, which is <laughs> wild. This goes back to last season. He hadn't made one. Uh, he took a few in the playoffs, didn't make any in the playoffs. He made three in one game in the preseason this year. <laughs> that looked like maybe the, the tides had turned on his three-point shooting, but uh, this is this game, he finally took some shots, and the whole team took shots and made shots. Uh, we shot uh, more three-pointers than the Clippers, which is the first time all season we had shot more three-pointers than our opponent. Um, and hey, that might be the way things trend here in the future. We'll see. More on that later. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if that's really the answer. It, it really sounds like a one-game flu because the Clippers have some good three-point shooters. In fact, they only attempted 33. They were 12 of 33, and the Clippers or and the Spurs were 14 of 36. So pretty similar. Spurs just a teeny bit better, and uh, obviously those those little things can start to snowball, especially when you're up a few late, and the Spurs uh, able to parlay that into a 10-point win. Yeah, you mentioned uh, maybe an off night for those three-point shooters. This was the first time the Spurs had held an opponent under 100 points all season. So a little bit of a better defensive effort, possibly better three-point shooting. Uh, That kind of gave a little bit of promise uh, heading out of the game. Maybe things had changed. And then... uh, and then Sunday happens, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, um, yeah, the Spurs lost 132-98, to and it wasn't as close as that score indicates. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mentioned this was a game where Lonnie Walker did score double figures. He's probably your standout in that game. There was no standout in the game. Yeah. When you lose by 40, we can't address a standout. So. Yeah, not, uh, not great. The Spurs just, they were down early. They never really got going, and then the third quarter was just miserable for them. They were almost doubled up in that quarter, 37-20, to 20, and that's kind of been a theme in some of these games where the Spurs have struggled. That was, was what happened against the Rockets last night where the Spurs uh, were only down, I think, four or six at halftime, and then the Rockets just came out and went on. Basically, they, they had it up to about 15 or 16 before in the next five or six minutes. And that's what a team that shoots three-pointers in bunches can do. If you're rapid-firing shots off like that, and the Rockets shoot more three-pointers than anyone else in the league, uh, they can make a league. Uh, they can make a lead kind of expand pretty quickly like that, balloon pretty quickly to a 20-point deficit. Um, but it was nice to see the Spurs bounce back from that depressing Pistons game against the Rockets, and we'll see if that momentum continues on this homestand they're on. They've got two more games at home, uh, Friday, December 6th, versus the Sacramento Kings. 
Uh, what are you expecting to see from that game? I'm expecting a pretty close game. The Kings are solid. They, they were a team that really gave the Spurs problems last year, but I think they're the kind of team that, like the Spurs, hasn't really changed too much. The scouting report is pretty similar on them, and I think that could be the kind of thing where the Spurs have had that extra time to look at them a little bit and uh, and start to make their plan for what they're going to do against Sacramento. Right now, the Kings, as we're recording this on a Wednesday morning, they're uh, 8 and 11, and the Spurs are 8 and 14. So really, the difference is just a couple extra games that the Spurs have played. And uh, the, the Kings are one of those teams that are in the mix right now, playoff-wise. And with, with it still being pretty early, you know they're going to be they're going to be fired up and, and th- treat, treating this like you know they're looking at a team that's below them in the standings, and they should think of that as a game that they should win. So maybe coming in a little bit overconfident. I'm uh, I'm really interested in this one. Yeah, the Spurs and the Kings are a bevy are two of the the teams that are a bevy of these kind of teams sitting at eight games just out of playoff contention right now. Uh, for the Spurs to get a win, for either of these teams to get a win over one of those teams, kind of boosts them in future playoff perspective, future playoff hopes. There, um, this was a Spurs team that a week ago did not feel like playoffs are going to happen talking a lot about lottery picks. Um, there's still a chance that these playoffs happen, but wins over the Kings, wins over these teams that you're fighting for that position with uh, will help. I'll be interested to see if LaMarcus Aldridge plays this game. Uh, he's missed He missed the Pistons game. He's missed uh, the Rockets game. If he sits this one out, they don't play again until December 12th. That's a good chunk of rest for a guy like Aldridge who you don't want a lingering injury to kind of affect him. Yeah, I, I would expect, especially the Kings are a team that I, tends to play a little bit smaller. They do use Harrison Barnes as a four quite a bit. Uh, so I would expect them to uh, to to the, the Spurs. I would expect the Spurs to rest Aldridge one more time, give him basically two two weeks, and uh, and then get ready for that next thing, which would be against uh, the Cavs. It's a winnable game for the That's Spurs. That's a winnable game, and it'd be great if the Spurs can finish off this homestand three and zero, kind of changing the the conversation around this team as hey, we can still compete. Um, yeah, both of these games are very winnable. I mean, the, the Kings one will be a little more competitive than the Cavs one. And then after that, they uh, fly to Mexico City to play the Phoenix Suns uh, Saturday, December 14th. That'll be interesting. I, you love these these games that are sort of these neutral site and, and growing the game. Uh, San Antonio and Phoenix, you know, Mexico City's a, a decent way, but in terms of uh, cities and, and fan bases that, that I think – fit well with that uh, with Mexico and Mexico City you, you, you think San Antonio and Phoenix would be would be the ones there uh, the Suns have been I think the surprise team of the year and obviously they've they started off super hot and have cooled down a little bit they're just a game under 500 right now they're still without DeAndre Ayton who's serving that suspension for uh, a banned substance I think another game though that the Spurs could win that they last year the Suns did beat the Spurs once I believe which was a shocker because the Suns were bad last year and uh but again, two more winnable games here coming up after that Kings game, uh, and no true road games during this this sort of two weeks upcoming stretch uh, for San Antonio. The, the Cavs one, I think, is is the biggest one because you can't ha- uh, continue to hand over winnable games when when you look at what the uh, the most the easiest remaining games on the schedule. I think just based off of home and away, other teams' records, you look at. Uh, the Spurs have already played the Knicks both times, and they split with them, which is not great. No. <laughs> and uh, and then there's Golden State, who's been pretty bad, and the Spurs have them a few more times. They just don't have any healthy star players right now. They're, they're just all all role players, all reserves. Uh, you're looking at the Hawks and the Cavs and maybe the Pelicans, but they're getting Zion Williamson back eventually. Maybe we'll talk about that more later. That's about it. You know, when you're where where the Spurs are right now, Still technically, even though they have this upward trajectory, still technically in the bottom third of the Western Conference. And they have the toughest remaining schedule, as we've yeah. been talked about a lot, and that's why a lot of people are predicting 
a lottery pick there. We're already seeing some mock drafts come down with the Spurs picking 11th or 12th. Um, and getting a guy, I mean, that would be great for the Spurs' future long run. I don't think the Spurs right now are planning for a lottery pick. They're going to push for the playoffs. No, absolutely. And, you know, they're they're an injury or a losing streak away from, from really changing that. But they're also a few more wins away from putting themselves right back in the in the mix for that uh, eight spot. The, the, the problem is there are just so many other teams who are in that mix. And uh, as I'm looking at the standings again, there are a lot of teams right here for whom it would mean a, a lot to get a seven or eight seed. And usually the conversation is, yeah, you don't want to be a seven or eight seed because right now it means you're going to get blown out in the first round by the Lakers, Clippers, or maybe Nuggets. Uh, but the teams that are in that mix, Sacramento hasn't made the playoffs in a long time. Phoenix has been atrocious for a long time. Oklahoma City is trying to bounce back after trading away Russell Westbrook. Chris Paul is trying to make one last stand here. Portland was a Western Conference finalist last year, and then the Spurs are trying to extend that streak of consecutive playoff berths. And right now, that's, what, five teams, six teams fighting for two spots? The, the Timberwolves are kind of uh, ahead of that group by a little bit, but, but still not... They're on the right side of the bubble right now, but they could easily fall off it. Yeah, I mean, typically you see a lot of these young teams trying to, you know, get into the lottery, get one more, pit, uh, one more piece to the, the core there. But like the Kings... Uh, the Timberwolves, these teams have their young core. Now they need playoff experience, and that's pretty valuable, and that's what they're playing for here. Um, and that's what teams, that's what future contenders do. They build a young core, they get playoff experience, and then they build upon that. Yeah, uh, while, while we're talking about the playoff picture really quick, let's just put it in perspective because the Eastern Conference is very different, uh, similar, that it's very top-heavy. There, you, you, in, in a normal year, I'd say you wouldn't really want to be the 7 or 8 seed. Uh, and, and it's a different story because Brooklyn and Orlando are the seven and eight seeds right now. And I think both of those teams would look at it and say, well, we're not really built for this year. It's not super important for us to make the playoffs this year. We made the playoffs last year sort of as a surprise. You might, th- those might be teams that even would try to fall down a little bit. Uh, Brooklyn, especially with Kyrie Irving's sort of been injured, and obviously they're playing without Kevin Durant this year. So the, the, well, the West and the East, they're similar that they're both heavy at the top, but in the middle and at the bottom, they're very different. Yeah, a lottery pick would be pretty valuable for Brooklyn if you're talking about this is a team that is built for next year. When Durant returns, when Irving is healthy, if you add a lottery pick kind of talent or you use that pick to yeah, trade yeah, for another they, asset, they would trade that pick. Um, that, that's kind of building towards a contender in that East that is top heavy. If the Spurs were to continue to lose, to fall out of that playoff contention, there are some moves that could be made and there's some scuttlebutt. I love that word. Put that, put that in our notes, and I should, I'm glad you glad you said it because I, I would I'd be laughing. That, uh, yeah, that is a Cameron word there. There's some scuttlebutt <laughs> around this team that it, you know some rumors kind of swirling around the two stars on this team, Marcus Aldridge and Demar Derozan. Yeah. So according to uh, Air Alamo, which is a Spurs blog on Fansided, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge could get traded to the Blazers. I'm not sure if there's really been too serious of a discussion. I know obviously that's where he started his career. He has ties there. The fans there still love him. Uh, he, he came to San Antonio as a free agent, so he came here uh, not by a trade, but because he wanted to. Uh, the, the deal there would apparently be, first of all, after Yusuf Nurkic gets healthy healthy for the Blazers, he's their, their main center, the deal would be uh, Hassan Whiteside in a 2020 first round pick. Hassan Whiteside is an expiring contract, plays, you know, obviously a center, kind of rooted to the paint, like Aldridge in, in the way that doesn't have a, a ton of range. Has been a really good defender in the past, hasn't really been that uh, as of the last few years. So the idea would be that the Spurs would get back a, uh, a first-round pick for a Blazers team that's also trying to make the playoffs. But if they do make the playoffs and they do make this push, it, they probably wouldn't get into the top half of the playoff seedings. So you're looking at a mid-to-early-late second-rounder. 
uh, probably around 20 or 21, perhaps, uh, in, in, in the draft, which is not nothing. And the Spurs have definitely been a team that's drafted well. It's just how much do you value that? Uh, the question is then, do, you, do the Spurs want to get off of LaMarcus Aldridge's salary for next year? Uh, he's due $24 million in his age 35 season. So at some point, he is going to start uh, declining. You know, guys aren't all-stars forever. And uh, the question is, when is that going to come? And do the Spurs want to kind of get ahead of it a little bit? Obviously, the Spurs knew what they were doing when they signed him in the first place. And uh, the, the Spurs, before the season started, uh, picked up that it, was, it wasn't fully guaranteed before the season started. It is fully guaranteed now. So he's, he is getting paid that by somebody next year, Aldridge is. So uh, it, that's, it's, it's a question. I think the, if the Spurs miss the playoffs this year, I think LaMarcus Aldridge would probably be pushing for a trade in the offseason. And the question is just, when are you going to get the most value? Yeah, that $24 million is a, a nice chunk to take off the books for a team that kind of struggles with the salary cap right now. We're paying a lot of role players, some, some small, smaller players like Patty Mills, Marco Bellinelli, Rudy Gay, some big contracts, um, probably overpaying those for those guys just to keep that Spurs knowledge in the system. Uh, but the problem is, there's not anyone I'd want to sign this coming off season. Uh, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the the top free agent is potentially Demar Derozan. Um, but I mean, it would be kind of nice to free that up. Uh, you're, you're talking about adding another young piece with a 20 to 25 pick, or packaging that together with the Spurs pick, which would potentially be a lottery. Maybe move into that top eight if you wanted to and find a really elite talent, which is something the Spurs haven't had since Tim Duncan. Um, but I just don't see the Blazers making this move unless they really thought. This is the last piece for contention. Um, if they're looking at an 8-7 seed with Aldridge, if they're fighting for that position, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. If they're trying to get into that top three and Aldridge is the guy they think they need, then, I mean, th that's a trade I would make uh, if I was the Blazers. But Aldridge has been pretty uh, open at times about wanting to return to the Blazers. Maybe just wait it out and see if you want a 36-year-old Aldridge down the line to kind of come play with Damian Lillard one more time. Yeah, the, the problem for the Blazers is that their window is kind of right now. Lillard's in his prime. McCollum isn't getting any younger. Those are guys who both were in college for a little bit longer. They were older rookies, so you think of them. They haven't been in the league that long. They're, they're getting up there all of a sudden, and you know the time is now before their, their prime really passes. And even if the Spurs kind of think of themselves in a similar situation, they're built to contend or at least be competitive right now, if the the if another team makes you an offer you can't refuse and maybe this isn't the right offer maybe uh, maybe white side and a pick isn't the right package maybe you can get another pick out of that if the Blazers are really desperate or another player I don't see how white side fits in on this team white side's uh, there to match it's to match salaries yeah exactly uh, mentality wise and uh, play wise. Um, It'd be interesting to see Pop and Whiteside kind of butt heads there. Um, that's not the only kind of team interested in one of the Spurs star players. DeMar DeRozan has gained some interest, um, most notably from the Magic. Um, but it's, uh, an executive in the NBA said that the Raptors also make sense. would be interesting to see if the Raptors bring DeMar back. And if DeMar, what DeMar's response would be to a city that kind of, the team that kind of spurned him, that he felt spurned by, and then he went and watched them win a championship without him. I think that fan base in that city and that franchise, all they, they love DeMar DeRozan. He's been such a big part of what they've done in, the, in their rise over the last decade. You, you would love to see it, and I know on a, on a past podcast I was discussing the, the trade with uh, DeMar to the Magic, which I think makes the most sense. Uh, Salary-wise, I think would also make a lot of sense. The, the piece that I think the Spurs would want to get back would be Nikola Vucevic, but uh, the issue with him is he signed his contract late, so this that trade can't happen until mid to late January. I, I think that would be a great trade for both teams. I think it would would fit uh, the Magic really well. They have Mo Bamba waiting in the wings to sort of take over the center spot for Vucevic. 
DeRozan would be their, their number one scorer, which is a thing they've sorely lacked. The Spurs could get back a long-term starting caliber center, free up the logjam at, at the wing to get Lonnie Walker more minutes. I think that trade makes the most sense out of anything the Spurs could do. Uh, the, the one with the Raptors is a little bit more interesting, and a Western Conference executive saying, yeah, that, that would be something that potentially could happen. Uh, the Spurs would take back uh, expiring contract of either Mark Gasol or Serge Ibaka, plus the Raptors' first-round pick this year, which would be a late first-rounder. Again, last year the Spurs had the Raptors' number one pick, and it was 29th. Yeah, I mean, those are a few names the Spurs have been kind of linked to liking in the past. Uh, Gasol is a guy whom uh, they considered bringing in um, a few seasons ago, and then Vucevic was a guy that the Spurs really kind of were connected to in the last offseason, talking about bringing him in. Of course, he signed that max with the Magic, and that's more money than the Spurs would have offered him. Um, if, if not Vucevic, the Magic at least have some young players that might, if you're looking towards a few seasons down the road, I doubt they pass, uh, they, um, they, package Jonathan Isaacs and anything. Maybe Aaron Gordon comes here, but he's a guy who hasn't really sh- lived up to the potential he's shown in his first few seasons. Um, the the Raptors aren't going to part with any of their young guys. No, <laughs> no. You, you, it would be, again, it, 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 this would be a situation where if the Spurs decide, let's, I hate to use the word tank, but let's start playing the young guys, seeing what we really have. And I think there's there's an argument to be made there. If, if you're going to end up missing the playoffs anyway, which right now, even though the Spurs played better in two of their last three games, it's still an uphill battle to get to that eight spot. There's a definite argument to let's get DeMar and LaMarcus off the books for the rest of this year and next year. Let's see what we have. Let's let's throw Lonnie Walker out there. Let's get Lucas Samanich out there. Let's get Kel- Keldon Johnson out there. Let's get them some room. Keldon Johnson's only played two minutes all year. Luka hasn't even appeared for the Spurs yet. Uh, there's an argument to, we'll see what we get out of these guys. If we lose a ton of games, that's fine. If we end up on the fringe of the playoffs, that's where we were going to be anyway. Uh, so th- I think there's an argument to be made there. The question is just, you know, superstars are hard to come by. And DeMar and LaMarcus are still superstars. And it's really hard to get fair value for those guys. Yeah. This is a conversation that probably shouldn't happen today. No. Down a, few, down a few months down the road, if the Spurs are kind of losing, maybe they make that trade. And then we can start talking about how fun a starting five of DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker, Lucas Shamanich, and Jakob Pertl would be. <laughs> and, and something they get back in a trade. Exactly. And you get Quindary. Weatherspoon off the bench, too. Derek White off the bench. Uh, we've talked a lot about this young core of this team. You're looking at eight exciting players to watch there. But we're not going to talk about that now because we're still in playoff contention. Uh, before we jump around the rest of the league here and talk about another Luka, uh, let's take a quick break. Spurs fans, remember Ken's 5 is the official TV station of your San Antonio Spurs. We're carrying 14 Spurs games on Ken's 5 this season, with the next one coming on December 16th when the Spurs visit the Houston Rockets. And new this year, you can watch that game and any Spurs game we air on Ken's 5 on the Ken's 5 app. Download the new Ken's 5 app. It is free, and don't miss out on any of the action. Remember, we'll also have plenty of exclusive Spurs coverage on Ken's 5 and kens5.com throughout the season. All right, so now let's take a look around the league and identify some key performers from this last week. And Cameron, while I was away, you turned this podcast into a Luka Doncic podcast. And since then... He's only done more crazy things. Yeah, he had a great game against the Spurs a little while back. I think he was just the second player other than LeBron James to have a a 40-point triple-double or a certain number of those uh, before his 21st birthday. So he's in really elite company at such a young age. Uh, Last night he did another 
impressive under-21 accomplishment, joining a very elite club uh, on Tuesday night in a 21-point win against the Pelicans. He had 33 points and 18 rebounds. And this is a little bit of a, a, it's a very interesting stat line. And it's a particularly, if you look at that particular stat line, according to Elias uh, Sports Bureau, the only other two players to do that before their 21st birthday, a 33 and 18, exactly 33 and exactly 18, Shaq and somebody named John Drew in 1973 <laughs> and 1974. Apparently John Drew did it a couple times. I don't know who that is, but Shaq was the other, is another name. I know that name. Yeah, I mean, Luca is making a name for himself as arguably the best 20-year-old to ever play in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, he's stacked up against guys like LeBron, Magic, uh, Shaq, of course. Larry Bird Larry is in Bird. that conversation in terms of guys who've come in and, and done exactly what he's done. Yeah, there was a graphic during that game last night where they put him up against those four and yeah, he's averaging 30 points and 16 assists before la- 30 points and six assists before last night's game, and is continuing to do crazy things. There's been a lot of MVP buzz around Luca. I think for him to get an MVP nod over some other people, the Mavs had to finish as a top three seed in the West. It's a very stacked Western Conference. I don't see that happening. They're having a great first quarter of the season there. Uh, and doing it in some remarkably ugly jerseys, too. Uh, you <laughs> saw the game last night. Uh, ombre kind of blue with the, the graffitied Mavs on the front there. The, the City Edition continues to be a thing. I'll tell you what, the, they, the Mavs do have an upgrade. Their, uh, their third jerseys, the one that just say Mavericks across the front, those are nice. I like those. Uh, but there's there's some bad City jerseys this year. Uh, the, the Brooklyn Bed-Stuy ones are uh, something. They're, they're, they're a thing. Uh, the the other player, obviously, you're talking about Luka Doncic getting MVP buzz. Can't talk about the MVP conversation without talking about James Harden. Uh, like we said, he had the 50-pointer against the, the Spurs on Tuesday night. He had 60 in three quarters against the Hawks. Jackson, why did he only play three quarters? Well, because the Rockets were up 50 um, <laughs> and going into the fourth quarter, and that's insane. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen – it's anecdotal, but I don't think I've ever seen a team up 50 after three quarters. And, of course, he gets pulled uh, – pulled – two shorts away from setting his career high. I say just let him play. Let's see if he can put up an all-time number, challenge the Kobe or the Wilts, you know, that's been unattainable. He seems like our best bet, especially if he's going to play a few more two-overtime losses or whatnot down the, down the road here. Um, I mean, last season he averaged 36 points a game. Right now he's averaging about 39 points a game. The last player to finish the season over 38 points per game was Wilt Chamberlain. And so you're talking about one of the all-time great scoring seasons from a guy who's proven himself to be possibly the greatest scorer since MJ. Uh, there was a lot of conversation in the last 20 years about who the next Michael Jordan is, if it's Kobe, if it's LeBron. I mean, Harden's the best if you're talking about from the offensive perspective, numbers-wise. Yeah, part of the thing with Harden and why he's not going to be MJ is he hasn't, he hasn't won. He hasn't been successful in the playoffs, and that's part of the mythology around Michael Jordan and why there's never going to be another Jordan. You know, six, six for six in finals appearances and uh, you know, the, success he, the success he had in the playoffs throughout his career. It's funny, though, we're talking about Luka Doncic. We're talking about James Harden. Neither one of those guys won Western Conference Player of the Week because Carmelo Anthony is the oh, reigning boy. Western Conference Player of the Week as we record this Mello's show. Melo's back. <laughs> oh, he is back, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that was a Portland Trailblazers team that was kind of uh, reeling following the injuries. Of course, Yusuf Nurkic hasn't played this year. Uh, Damian Lillard has, has missed some time with some injury. Uh, so Melo kind of revitalized the team there, brought some fire. Um, had, had a pretty good week. Uh, I would say almost a great week. I wouldn't say it was a Harden-esque week, uh, who put up all-time great numbers there. Uh, so pretty interesting to see him get the nod. 
Yeah, the Blazers have had a, an interesting last uh, week or two. They lost to the Cavs back on uh, November 23rd, but then ripped off three straight wins against the Bulls, Thunder, and uh, Bulls again before losing on uh, Tuesday night against the Clippers by 20. So they, they still have some work to do. Uh, taking care of business against the, the Bulls twice was nice for them, but losing to the Cavs is strange. And Carmelo, you, you know what you're getting with him at this point. If you, if you don't, uh, really, you haven't been paying attention over the last three years because uh, he was with the Rockets to start last season. That did not go well for nope. him. He wasn't <clears throat> he wasn't great with the uh, with the Thunder in 2017-18. So uh, he, the fact that he's still a contributor is nice for him. And, and you know, I was talking about him uh, last week, and the, the quote from Mister said he still wants to play a few more years. What's amazing is that the Rock or the Blazers only grabbed him this year because they were desperate for another body at the four. So the idea that he's going to extend his career another two years beyond this one is surprising, but he's definitely taking the right steps to do that. And, and he's, he's played well. I mean, he's not, I don't think he's deserving of Player of the Week. I, I think there have been better players, but the, the story is fantastic. Yeah, so, Karen, Carmelo Anthony is a name that we've talked about on this podcast before. Yeah, so I think over the summer, Jackson, we were, we were joking about a, a new big three or a new big four uh, in San Antonio. We're talking about moves the Spurs could have made in the, in the summer. And uh, Carmelo Anthony obviously was a free agent. He was a free agent for the whole second half of last season. And, uh, and Dwight Howard was another name we brought up and as a guy who was out there and you know was available for teams to get this summer. And we were talking about, should, should the Spurs add these guys? And uh, obviously we're talking about the, the context that the Spurs had been leaning into this sort of turn-of-the-century philosophy of you know, let's shoot lots of mid-range jumpers, play a little bit of iso ball. Uh, the Spurs don't shoot a lot of threes. They have, uh, in terms of scorers who would have been fantastic in the late 90s, early 2000s. DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are, are that mold. And uh, we were joking, hey, let's, let's just lean all the way into it and let's have the ability to maybe go with DeRozan, Anthony, Aldridge, and Howard and have the ultimate 2008 all-star team, 2009 all-star team. It doesn't matter who's playing point for them at that point. Well, one uh, of the reasons we were joking about it was because the last times we'd seen both those guys play, Mello and Dwight Howard, they looked washed. Oh, yeah. Both of them. I mean, Anthony was out of the league for a year and was considering retiring before the Trailblazers kicked the tires on him in, in a moment of desperation. Uh, but both of them have extended their careers. Yeah, they're playing really well this year. And, uh, yeah, you know, maybe the joke would have been, hey, let's get Dwayne Wade out of retirement to, co- to complete that starting five. Oh, my gosh. Uh, obviously, the Spurs are – they didn't do that. Then there's maybe an argument to be made that maybe they could have grabbed Carmelo Anthony. Maybe he would have been a better fit and provided something more than maybe what you're getting from a Damari Carroll right now. But, uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was some big fun – ideas and sometimes they work and sometimes they really don't i don't think many people predicted dwight howard to have the kind of season he's having and uh another thing though they they would have been bad fits on the spurs yeah i mean we'll see if the howard thing is sustainable let's see if the whole lakers thing is sustainable right now they're a three loss team and you talk about maybe the spurs could have brought Dwayne wayne on retirement I'm, I, there's, I mean, it's not big fun. I think there might be some conversation about Dwayne Wade joining that Lakers team. He's already out in L.A. Um, that's a team that is, is kind of using players you wouldn't expect, like Alex Caruso is kind of being a fundamental player on this team. The new point god. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there might be a, a role for Dwayne Wade on that team joining Dwight Howard and LeBron James. I, I think right now, if we're talking about contenders, the, the Western Conference is going through L.A. One of those L.A. teams, uh, the Lakers or the Clippers, sitting on top of uh, the Western Conference there, are they the contenders after this first quarter of the season that stand out to you? Yeah, so I think they are tr- uh, true title contenders. I think there are seven. I think there are seven of them in the NBA. Uh, both L.A. teams, Denver, Milwaukee, 
uh, Boston and Toronto. So three teams in the East, three teams in the West. Coincidentally, those are the top three teams in each conference as we sort of get this week started. So, you know, quarter of the way through the season, I think we have a decent idea of what these teams are and uh, who these who these guys are, what's what they're about, and what's going on in the league right now. Obviously, a lot can change over the last... 60 games of the season. Uh, I think Philly has been a little underwhelming. I know there was a lot of buzz around them. I know I had some questions about how the fit was going to be with Horford and Embiid. And, and it's worked at times. They've definitely won more than they've lost. But I think I, I was a little higher on them than you were just mm-hmm. from the defensive standpoint there. But, yeah, it's been a little underwhelming in Philadelphia. Another team that has a great record right now that I don't fully believe in yet is Miami, obviously with the addition of Jimmy Butler. Uh, I still think they're missing a piece or two. They're obviously doing something right, but they, they really have escaped a lot of the national headlines. And I think, like the Spurs, they think they've played a pretty easy schedule so far. Uh, Dallas... Obviously, Luka Doncic is playing at an MVP level. They don't have much beyond Porzingis as in terms of support for him, and I think they're a little bit too young, but I'm really excited. They're, they're going to be a playoff team. They, they should make some noise. They could be that team like maybe like Golden State was back in, say, 2013 or 2014, where it's the beginning of something special, but they're not there quite yet. Uh, Utah, I think, was another team that people were really excited about as the season started. Mike Conley, I'm not going to say he's washed, but I don't think he's the same guy he was a couple years ago, and they're integrating a lot of new pieces and uh, Houston, they're still missing Eric Gordon, and I think when he comes back from his injury, they could get really scary, but right now, those are the teams, and I love that we have seven right now in my book, but you could easily expand that to ten and still be looking at a number of teams that are contending and are serious title contenders. The problem is what that means is when a third of the league is really strong, and in terms of being an actual title contender, I think the chances for, for somebody outside that group to sneak in to make a deep playoff run is really small. I'm a little bit higher on Miami than you are. Uh, they are young. Um, they, Jimmy Butler is the guy on that team right now, and they're not getting a whole lot uh, of, of, of great contribution from anyone else. They're getting a lot of great stuff from the role players, some young guys. Um, but we've seen the model for uh, last year, how they could possibly win a championship, and that's great coaching and Jimmy Butler taking over. I don't think... Jimmy Butler can beat Kawhi Leonard. He's probably worse on offense and worse on defense, but he's kind of built in that same mold as a two-way player. And right now, I think, besides Pop, there isn't a greater coach in the NBA than Eric Spolster. What he's been able to do over 10 years with teams that are constantly shifting, uh, this is a young team, and I think he's really making a push for Coach of the Year. Um, other guys in that conversa- conversation include um, Vogel, what he's doing with the Lakers, Doc Rivers with the Clippers, and uh, again, yeah, um, even Budenholzer again with that Milwaukee team. Uh, but right now, Spolster is a standout for me. And if great coaching and one superstar can lead Toronto to a championship last year, there's a chance that could happen again. Of course, Toronto was the beneficiary of some injuries on their opponents. Uh, you're talking about a Golden State Warriors team, obviously, that was without Durant, without Klay Thompson for a large chunk of the time there. So uh, whether or not Miami runs into a, an opponent like that down the road that's as weak uh, as the Warriors were last year is interesting. But I like that Miami team. But I'm with you there. I think in the West you're talking about both L.A. teams and Denver. Yeah, all right, Jackson, let's move to what's driving us batty. I'll start. Uh, mentioned Zion Williamson earlier. There was so much buzz around him coming into the NBA. The context in which I brought it up was, let's give the people what they want. It was Lonnie Walker. Let's give the people what they want. The Spurs fans want Lonnie. I'm sure not just Pelicans fans, but NBA fans the world over want to see Zion Williamson. What is he going to do? Who is he going to be in the NBA? Bad news coming out of uh, the Pelicans camp, uh, the ringer and uh, NBA on TNT reporting that his uh, his recovery from that uh, surgery to repair a torn meniscus taking longer than expected. Originally, the timetable was going to be six to eight weeks. 
It sounds like it's going to be on the long end of that, if, it, if not even longer than eight weeks. Uh, we're now at the six-week mark since that surgery. He hasn't played an official NBA game yet. He was fun and great in the preseason. Didn't play much in summer league because he was injured. Uh, the, the Pelicans have not been good without him. Brandon Ingram has stepped up and playing like I think a lot of people expect a number two pick should play. The problem is this team just isn't that... They're basically the Lakers from the last few years without Zion Williamson, and, and we want to see these exciting players. What I worry about, this is maybe a preemptive driving me batty, I'm worried that they're, they're going to just load manage the heck out of him. Maybe he doesn't even play this year. That's what I'm most worried about is if... We get to a point another two weeks from now. We get to the eight weeks, nine weeks, and the Pelicans maybe don't win more than two additional games. Right now, they're six and fifteen. They they could get to let's say nine and twenty-four, eight and twenty-five, something like that. The at what point do you just kind of say, yeah, maybe we'll play them for three games, but but maybe not. I mean, Blake Griffin is is I think a pretty good comparison for him coming out of college. And Blake missed his entire rookie year, and there was sort of it was sort of a downer. And then obviously he still came back and had a very great start to his career, but sort of cast a shadow over uh, that buzz for a number one pick coming out of college. I'm worried that in this age of load management, we're not going to get to see enough of Zion Williamson this year. Yeah, I mean you're talking about how bad this Pelicans team is so far. Of course, Brandon Ingram has taken up that mantle, like you said, but this was a team that was built with the idea that Zion is a centerpiece, and you have complementary players around him. They signed JJ Redick to be their three-point shooter. They drafted Jackson Hayes to be that backup center to Zion Williams to be that complementary guy playing against then. And of course, all those Lakers players are good players, but they were supposed to be role players um, playing alongside Zion. Um, I'm interested to see. I think. Uh, I'm leaning towards they shut him down for two reasons. One, it'd be great to get another top three, top five pick to put next to Zion. This is a little bit of a weaker draft class coming out, but you could still get elite, young talent to be put aside him. And then, of course, if he shuts down like we've seen with Blake Griffin, with Ben Simmons, then you get another Rookie of the Year push with him. If he sits out 30 games this year, he's probably not in that Rookie of the Year conversation. Play him all next season, he's probably the favorite going into the season. Um, and that's a lot of publicity that this Pelican team needs. Uh, it's a, a trophy that if Zion wants to build a resume as an all-time great, a lot of the all-time greats have that Rookie of the Year trophy. Um, I could see it happening. And, of course, that's a little depressing because you want to give the people what you want. And, Cameron, do you know what I want? What is that? I want the Spurs to shoot three-pointers. <laughs> right now we're last in the league in three-point shots. Uh, we're taking 25 three-point attempts per game. Uh, those contenders we were just talking about, all of them are taking more than th uh, at least 30. The one team that's kind of right there is like 29.5 attempts per game. That's the Lakers, and they have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So they, they can take one or two less. But over the last few games, we've seen the Spurs start taking more three-point shots. Against the Clippers, it was 36 attempts, shot 38% from the three there. Against the Houston Rockets last night, it was 30 attempts in a double overtime game. 43% from the three there. That's a little bit of an outlier. But we have four games this season in which we've shot more than 30, at least, yeah, we have four games this season in which we've shot more than 33s, and we're three and one in those games. That shouldn't be shocking. Everyone in the league knows that in this NBA, to win, you shoot three-pointers, you play better defense. Now, on the season, the team is 36% from three-point percentage, so it's not like that Clippers game where we shot 38% as much of an outlier. We're still staying consistent in our percentage when we take more 
So let's just do it. I think we're trending more towards that way. When we talk about those four games in which we shot 30 attempts or more, two of them have been the last three games. So let's see if this team continues to take threes. You're finding guys on this team with more confidence in their shots, like Lonnie Walker. Mills has been excellent from the three-point line this season. Derek White had a great night from behind the three-point line uh, against the Clippers there. Let's do that. I mean, that's how you win in the league right now. So, And Pop has been very adamant that he does not like three-pointers. Um, I would say to Pop, I don't like losing. I don't think you like losing either. Uh, let's see what we can do there. <laughs> Who am I to tell Pop what to do, though? No, and this one thing you like to see is even uh, DeMar DeRozan was firing a couple threes in that game against the Rocks. I don't think he made uh, any of them. Uh, he, he, he was 0 for 1, so he did take a 3, and I know he, he had another one. I think might, his foot might have been on the line, so he's been in that range. But uh, That's three games in a row where DeMar's taking three points, though. That's a great sign. <laughs> yeah, and this is a Spurs team. Percentage-wise, they're, they're a decent, they're around a league average shooting uh, threes team, and uh, the, the counter-argument against shooting more threes is that it would be that their offense is built to take the number of threes that they're taking, things are more or less working, and if you start adding more threes, they're not going to be good looks usually. Usually they'd be more difficult threes, and maybe if you take three hard threes, you make one of them, okay, but maybe those could be three easier shots you could get later in your offense. Pop is an old-school guy. Can you teach the old dog new tricks? Probably. The game continues to evolve, and the Spurs are evolving with it, maybe just not quite as fast as some fans would like. Counter to your counter. You're talking about bad looks. Something that had been down for the Spurs going into this last week of basketball were the assist numbers. Uh, you're talking about a team that is known for being in the top five in assists per game throughout the league. We talk about that Spurs beautiful ball movement of 2013-2014. They were sitting at about 13th, 14th going into last night's game. They had 26 assists last night on shots there. That's more than their average. Let's get more assists, get more better passes, keep moving that ball, uh, get back to Spurs basketball, which is not, like you said, we, we've built this team for the mid-range for Aldridge and DeRozan. Um, but let's shoot more threes, please. Yeah, bon one more bonus thing is if we're going to pass the ball more, we've got to take better care of the ball. The turnover numbers have been ridiculously, painfully high for the Spurs. In the first half of last night's game, there were some really terrible uh, Egregious. sloppy ball. Yeah. You're talking about a, a guy like DeJounte Murray, who you hope is your point guard, a guy that you hope can be the ball security guy for your team, uh, making some bad passes, getting a little too fast on some fast breaks. And, of course, Drew Eubanks, who had to play last night due to Aldridge's absence, uh, was, was fumbling the ball a few times there in his limited minutes. Yeah, take care of the ball, pass, three-pointers. We've solved it. Solved we, it. We have the answer. Going to the playoffs, winning a playoff series, Spurs are back. <laughs> All right, and we're back to next week to talk more about the NBA season. We've got three Spurs games we'll be breaking down. We'll be showcasing what's going on around the league as the league continues to move through the regular season. And as we continue to do that, please make sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at Big Fun Pod. Of course, you can find Cameron Songer on Twitter, myself, Jackson Floyd on Twitter. Uh, follow Kins5 for all your Spurs news. We do live game blogs. It's David Flores breaks down the action, uh, pre and post game, including interviews with the players. And this whole Kins5 sports team will have plenty more today and throughout the rest of the week about the crazy Rockets game that is still unfolding. We don't know who won the game, Cameron. <laughs> the Spurs won the game. And that's the way it's going to be. Well, any final thoughts here, Cameron, before we wrap up? No, I'm just really excited for the Lonnie Walker era. I hope I hope that the game against the Rockets was a turning point. I, I think the I think the, the kid has proven himself to, to Coach Pop, and I know that that's going to continue to be a relationship, and there's going to continue to be drama there because uh, you know he's a young guy and Pop is set in his ways, but uh, he, he's proved he belongs in the NBA. 
Alright, and my last thought here. If we freed Lonnie Walker, let's move on and let's free Chinezi and Metsu. That's for another podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>